What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. In particular, this week, we'd like to thank Jay Caruso, our latest patron. Jay, thank you for joining in the fun. And we're so grateful for you. And uh, anyone else that would like to join in as well to support this podcast, just pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Mr. Stay, this could be a special in itself today about your last week. I saw a lot of stuff on social media. You went to a certain film festival called Sidges. Tell yes. us about how that went. Oh, man. Oh, man. How long have you got? I mean, seriously, <laughs> I'm still buzzing. I'm still on cloud nine. Yeah, I, uh, the film What I Wrote, Unwelcome, monster movie, uh, premiered at the Sidges Film Festival. And the Sidges Film Festival started in 1967, he said, reading from Wikipedia. Um, and it's, I mean, this year, I was talking to some of the organisers and they were saying this is the first proper year sort of post-COVID where they've been able to have the full festival. So they sold 70,000 tickets this year. They showed Whoa. dozens of movies. There are 350 screenings in 10 days. I mean, it's nonstop. You could... <laughs> Just and they do have people who you know they buy a pass and they start you know and they can watch films for twenty four hours you know and the, the audiences are phenomenal. I mean the guide is like a phone book you know it's um so we were I think we were quite a late addition to the festival because uh, we 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 weren't in competition so we're not up for any awards but um we we had uh, so it was me uh, the director John Wright. We had our director of photography, Hamish Doindipmus. Uh, we had our editor, Jofia Tallis, and our VFX uh, supervisor, Paddy Eason. And we kicked off on the... So we were there for the closing weekend. So we had a midnight screening on the Friday night. So I went straight from the airport, picked up pick, picked up from the airport, um, which was slightly confusing because I came out the wrong door and couldn't find the car. <laughs> picked up from the airport... I went straight to the midnight screen. So I went to the hotel and they said, great, you're here. There's the screening. In you go. So it's me and John and, and Jofi and um, Hamish. And, you know, there's suddenly a room with somewhere between three and 400 people. And you have to remember, no real people have seen this film before. Yeah. So we had no, it hasn't been tested. Weirdly, Warner Brothers haven't done any sort of audience testing or anything like that. So we had... Genuinely had no idea how it had been received, <laughs> was going to be received. And of course, we haven't watched it in months. So, you know, we've seen it in screening rooms with colleagues and what have you. So suddenly the nerves are like, oh, um, oh, oh, gosh, I have no this, idea. Yeah, so, you have no idea we, how it's going to go. 
we thought, okay, we, we kind of agreed beforehand, we'll just stay for the opening and then we'll sneak out the back. But of course, we couldn't help it. We stayed for the whole thing. You've we got to stay. You've got, you can't sneak out the back. You've got to stay for it, surely, right? Just to and kind it, of. I'm, well, look, I'm so glad we did. I, and I can't say, uh, give specifics, but there's something happens in the film. Yeah. There was a point where we knew, this, there was a point where you kind of know either we've lost them or we've got them. So, like a make or break moment, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And oh my God, it was beyond my wildest dreams. It no was way. The, the, well, the, th- the thing you have to understand about Sidges is the audiences, they are, these people live and breathe horror. They love horror. They've seen everything. Yeah. So, you know, they, they know all the tropes. They know, you know, and there was a thing that came and they just burst into applause and cheered. And oh, then fantastic. they didn't stop until the end. I mean, it was just really? phenomenal. Yeah, it was just phenomenal. So uh, I I came out, you know, I didn't get sleep till like two in the morning. I was like, ah! <laughs> we had to get up early for... Um, for interviews, we're doing press interviews. So John and I were doing uh, interviews for the radio and the press. And I just want to pause here for a moment just to say that John Wright, the director, it, it was incredibly generous because usually they just want to talk to the director because film is very much a director's medium, you know. But he was great. He was he was very much, you know, come with me, do the interviews with me, which was great. And, and it was brilliant. And we had all the interviewers had seen the film in the, in, at the screening the night before. And, oh, cool. they, and they loved it and they got it and they asked really interesting questions. Now, the other thing is, of course, we're in Spain. So this is all going through a translator as well. <laughs> so there's this added thing. Our poor translator, what was her name? Elena. I think her name was Elena. Uh, she was wonderful because she had to put up with me and John giving these really, really long answers. She's sitting there writing it down, writing down in her own kind of shorthand uh, in a notepad, flipping the pages and then giving the answers very eloquently, you know. So we had all this it. press and radio and, and stuff like that. And then halfway through the Saturday was the big premiere. So we had this sort of midnight screening. Oh, so that wasn't even the... I no. thought that was the premiere. Oh, okay. Okay, now hang no. on. Re, 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 rewind. I've got some <laughs> questions. I've got some questions. When you did the thing at midnight, because mm. a lot of people are probably interested in this, and, and a lot of people listen to this, like myself, I've never been to a, a proper film festival before. You see the right, photos right, and right, stuff. Right, I know. Yeah. When you... I always have this kind of vision in my mind that at a film festival people come up in front of the audience before it starts and yes we did and that, introduce yeah. so did you do that on the friday night did you and yeah. and how does what happens there like who who speaks and what do you say like before because you don't want to like give her the plot away do you just thank people for coming or yeah uh, john did a little bit about the themes of i mean the, we've we've kind of got it down, having done all these interviews as well we've kind yeah, of got it down you, practice, you get a right? little patter you get a little pitch yeah, and yeah. so we we talked talked you know john does a little introduction where he talks about the themes and how it came about because of a conversation that john and i had about violence and how we love violence in movies but we're complete cowards in real life and it brings us out and shakes and this is this is how the yeah. film came about then i did a little bit and i said to the audience uh you're the first people real people to see this film so that kind of got them all excited i don't know how many of them knew that but they were like oh great we're the first people ever to see this so mm. that sort of and i said to them so you have to like it <laughs> got, got, got a laugh and made john very nervous he was like oh god what if they don't um yeah. so uh so that's that's what we did on the uh on the friday night mm. then on the saturday the saturday was the big premiere now this was 
a 1,400-seater theatre. It Whoa. was freaking massive and a proper big screen, the sort you get at the West End in London. I mean, yeah, like great square, picture. Right? Exactly. Great yeah. picture, great sound, really, really good. And you got up and you actually couldn't see the audience because the lights were in you. I would have done a picture, to, you know, because it, and it was sold out, totally sold out, Fantastic. absolutely packed. Uh, so John did did uh, his thing about the themes and everything again. And I did, and you'd be proud of me, Mr. D. I did a little speech about how this was, this is a moment that writers dream of, you know, that yeah. I'm standing there on a podium in front of 1,400 complete strangers here to see this movie that I've written. And um, and what I, the thing that happened, I'd had a whole day and a bit at the festival. I got to, you know, you meet people, people coming up with stuff for you to sign. You know, they somehow got glossy photos of of the film poster I'm like where have you got these from i haven't got these why don't i have these so they're asking me to sign things and some robot overlord stuff as well john was getting stuff for his film grabbers they all love grabbers and if you haven't seen grabbers do see it. it's a great film and uh you know so i said to them this you know i'm so glad that this film is premiering at sidges because you know, I know what you people are like. And this is true that on my on the way there, the driver was telling me about Sidge's audiences and how they whoop and applaud and cheer. Mm. And I said, scream and all that stuff. So I can't wait for you to whoop and cheer and scream because, you know, this 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 film I think is is great for you. And they did, you know, they they, they were delivered. absolutely and was it now what interesting question. Bigger audience, but did you um, do you stayed for this, the the second? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, did you notice that it was exactly the same reactions, or was it different? Weirdly, it was exactly the same. And I was waiting. That's great, though I was hoping for little differences. You differences. know, I was thinking, oh, are they yeah. going to be different? But weirdly, they went for all the. I'll be honest. They, if anything gory happened, it got a big cheer. <laughs> if someone got stabbed, they're like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. You warped, messed up people. Oh, I love brilliant. you. Uh, so oh, it was, dear. it was really, really strange. That's it was kind of, funny. it was, it was so, so wonderful. So yeah, you know, whenever there's blood on the screen, they're like, woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> someone's have got the, you know, someone's being eviscerated. Wonderful. Yeah. So it was, it was great. Now here's the, here's the weird. Th I mean, two things. One, I had a little moment as the film started because I've always struggled to enjoy these moments in the past. I've always been kind of mm. tense thinking, are people going to enjoy it? But on the Friday night, we kind of knew, knew that the audience enjoyed it. And these were the same kind of people. So I could relax a bit, actually. Yeah. And I had this little moment of bliss as the titles were, were running, the opening title. I thought, oh, I'm actually enjoying this. I'm actually, oh, this is good. I like this. This Brilliant. is good. This is, this is what I've been working towards all my sort of writing life. And I'm going to bloody enjoy it for yeah, once rather than in. being a ball so i did i absolutely loved it and and here's the other thing after the, this the film finished big round of applause <clears throat> john had to run out he, he, he was he was going to the loop uh and so so i had people coming to me and congratulating me and and i like a 10 year old kid asked for an autograph i was like what are you doing watching this film uh, so, <laughs> um so, you know, and then we wait to the end titles and I got up just thinking that was great. And I stood up and there were all these people still standing. And there's me and there's Hamish and Jofie and Paddy. And as we're filing out, they're applauding us, Aww. looking at us and applauding us. Wow. That was weird, but I loved it. And, and I'm going to be insufferable because I want more of it now. Yeah, <laughs> I know, you're just exactly right. You've, I you've want the praise. The elixir. <laughs> Exactly. It's like so it's weird. like you've got the ring. You've got yeah. the ring, haven't you? Ah, the precious, the precious <laughs> applause. Okay, so everyone listening to this, watch Mark slowly turn into Gollum over Gollum, the next yeah. year. 
You'd be showing up in six six. months. You'd be so showing up six months from now and say, I do enjoy doing this podcast, but it's got nothing on film festivals. It really hasn't. Exactly. Can we add some applause? Can we dub some applause on, you know? So, um, so yeah, you know, and the the Sunday, I I just got to hang hang around the town. It is a beautiful, Mm. beautiful town. And the thing is, John and I were talking, we we are totally fired up. We want to make another film that we can take there again. We want to make an even bloodier horror film that we, because of this, this thing, this film wrapped two years ago. So, and for various reasons, Omicron and box office and what have you, the distributors are waiting for the right moment to release it. And it is going to be next year. It's going to be 2023 sometime. Mm. So we've, you know, you get to a point where you think, did we even make that film? Did Mm. we, did I dream it? You know, so to put it in front of an audience has been just such a massive shot in the arm. And, uh, you know, it's got John and I really excited again about, because we've got another couple of scripts ready to go, you know, and one of them has got some funding. So we're kind of going to be yeah. going, look, this we had a great reception. Let's make another movie and get yeah. there again. Well, this is brilliant, though, because, I mean, for anyone listening who's who's ever dreamed of having a, a, a you know, even book that they've written or a, a, even a short story turned into a film, it is the stuff of legends, isn't it? It's kind of it, I, very, very few people get to experience what you what you experienced this weekend, Mark. Um but also there's something about that connection with an audience. Yeah. You don't get that with, I mean, I guess the closest you get to it with a book is if you do a book reading in front of a group of people, but it's not ever going to be the same as being able to observe people, uh, you know, watching your creation, which is written, but is now converted onto a screen. And yeah. there's some absolute magic in that. And I think for anyone, anyone who has any dreams of that, it should definitely be on the bucket list to be able to watch the movie or the show that you've created, that you wrote, that you've written, to be able to actually stand and watch an audience view that. Because even a lot of people that get stuff on Netflix and streaming, they won't yeah. necessarily get that opportunity because if it goes straight to streaming, there might not be a, you know, a festival a festival a screen streaming but it weirdly enough that what you experience there that that kind of the buzz that you get of playing in front of an audience is yeah. very very similar to to what musicians experience when Absolutely. they go, when they play yeah. at festivals and there's a big and it's it's not just about you know a one off book reading or a one off gig that you're playing at a certain venue it's the whole thing that surrounds the festival that all it's like there's a such a massive buzz isn't there and yeah. there's everyone's you know, there for that a longer period of time, and it's like a massive kind of holiday. Like you leave planet Earth for a couple of days, don't you? Oh, completely. You're right. I was on another. What was yeah. nice? I mean, occasionally, not to get political, but occasionally Spanish people would go, "What on earth is happening with your government?" And I would say, "Look, I don't. I've come here to get away from that. Can we <laughs> yeah, not yeah. talk about that?" You know, it was the real world, and this place, Sidges, is is a paradise. It's an absolute. Oh, you know, it's beautiful by the sea. It's beautiful. Sea it's breeze. outside of Barcelona, right? Just south of Barcelona, Catalonia. It's, it's, it's a, just a magical, magical place. And yeah, I definitely want to go back. Uh, and, you know, and we're all, you know, you meet people, you just talk about films, which is my, you know, favorite subject yeah. in the world. And, you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I, I want more. Uh, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is. I mean, I, I've done theatre and, again, similar to gigs, you know, it's a communal experience. And this is what I love about cinema, you know, Netflix. Disney Plus, whatever, it's all wonderful stuff. But that that communal experience of being in a room with people and feeling that 
atmosphere in the air, that kind of crackle of electricity. There is nothing like it. It's, it's um, the human experience, isn't it? It's yeah. the human yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah. we talk a little bit about the importance of groups and people and friendships. We do um, in this in week's, this interview. week's yeah. wonderful interview. Well, let's give us an intro to Jenny Ashcroft. Yes, apologies to Jenny, who's probably might be listening to the podcast again. When are they going to talk about me? Uh, so Jenny Ashcroft, she's a British author. She's uh, lived and worked in Australia and Asia. And when we recorded this, she was in Sydney. But she's got a degree from Oxford in history. And she's always been fascinated by the past and the way that extraordinary events can change the lives of ordinary people. And her novels include Beneath the Burning Sky, Island in the East, Meet Me in Bombay, Under the Golden Sun. And she has a new book called The Echo of Love, which is about Crete, 1936, Second World War. Uh, it is, And then it sort of sweeps through the war, you know, 1941, the Nazi invasion. It's epic stuff. Secrets, love, loyalty, family, how far you go to keep those you love safe. So we discuss, you know, that moment when you realise you have a story, how to balance historical fact with fictional characters and finding your tribe, finding your peers as a writer and why your family probably doesn't understand publishing or what you do as a writer. <laughs> Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the lovely Jenny Ashcroft. Jenny Ashcroft, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm well, it's tonight in Sydney and I'm very it well. Is. Thank you. <laughs> it's just so sorry. Other side of the world. It's bright and sunny here and I can see it's night where you are. But uh, thank and you so winter, much. And it's winter. Winter here as well. So it's we really are the opposite side. It was very cold today. So Yes, yeah. yes. No, it's I've got t-shirt on and everything. It's great. <laughs> uh, well, look, let's go to a very sunny place. Let's go to Crete in the summer of 1936, which is paradise on earth, but there are clouds on the horizon. Let's let, Tell us about your new novel, The Echoes of Love. Well, um, I, um, like you say, it's set in Crete. Um, it's set both before the war and during the war. Um, and I it was really inspired by a conversation with my father because I was talking to him when I, um, when you go through the process of starting a new novel, or certainly when I do, you write many synopses and you send it to your agent. You say, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I was going through all of that. And I said to my dad, you know, I've just got this, this image of this villa in Greece and I can't, my dad's Greek. And I said, I just can't get it out of my mind. And he said to me, well, you know, your grandmother had a German boyfriend just before the war. And I said, I did not know that, Dad, because you, you never mentioned that before. <laughs> and, um, but so, and I think, you know, being the 1930s, it was all a largely innocent, um, in, you know, interlude for her with this with this German man before, before the start of the Second World War. But then she lived through the occupation and lost a lot of her family during the occupation. And it really got me thinking about just the, and I suppose it's never more relevant than now, but that kind of sudden change from peace to war that, that, that the continent went through. And, and anyway, that weekend, I was, it was a couple of years ago and I was sitting in our garden in Brighton and I just I downloaded a couple of research books about Crete. Um, and I started reading about the occupation of Crete and the invasion of Crete and then the um, work of the special operation executive, the spy, the British spies in Crete during the second mm. world war. And I thought, God, there's a story here. And, mm. um, so I started to write it, which is the way, which is the way I always do things. And we, funny enough, we were already going to Crete that summer, so it was it was it was a perfect um, opportunity to start the research. And somewhere, this just this this woman who goes to see her grandfather in his villa by the sea every summer 
sprung up and she meets a German man and then they meet again during the Second World War um, when she's on Crete as a spy and he's there as part of the Nazi occupying forces. And it's their story and the lengths that they each go to to stand up for what they believe in and for each other. It's um, Crete is a wonderful choice for uh, a story like this. I, I know, I know, it kind of it's it's all tied in with your family, which is which is amazing. But you're right, because it is this paradise on earth, and then you have the Battle of Crete in 1941, which has this intense fighting, and the, you know the Nazis win, yeah. and there's an occupation, there's a resistance. It's kind of the war in a microcosm, isn't it? So is yeah, and I think one of the one of the books that I read was is by this um, Anthony Bivoire, I think it's the Battle of Crete, the Battle and the Resistance, and I, where it really got me thinking that I wanted to write from a German point of view was his description of the German parachutists who landed in Crete in 1941, and they were so young, you know, they were 16, 17 years old, largely conscripts, and um, the whole, the, just just the the epic nature of that battle that they all went through it really it really got to me um and and yeah it was it became a world in itself there was you know the german versus the british with the with the greek occupied uh, population and really they were locked out from the war for the rest of it because it was just this this occupied island um but what really I hadn't been aware of was the extent to which the resistance was active in the same way that they were in France with the special operations executive sending spies from Africa. Mm. And they had this um, this constant basic like, shuttle between Africa and Crete where they would drop spies into Crete and pick local Cretans up to take them back to Africa to trade as spies. And it would go on and on and on. And then they had wireless operatives living in the caves, parachute drops coming down with supplies. It was It was a really intense battlefront that I just mm. simply hadn't been as aware of until I started doing the research. And then when you go there and you you look up at these mountains like looming over the towns of Hania and Heraklion, you think, God, you know, it must have been terrifying to have been a German soldier knowing that all those resistance fighters were up there, you know, just yeah. waiting to make their move. Yeah. This is this is you, you spoke of that moment where you get where and authors will recognize this where you go, oh, there's a story here. Yeah, that's that's a, it's a fantastic moment because you feel moment. <laughs> you, you, you find a kind of seam that you think I can mine this. I can mine. Yeah, um, but also that these are real stories. These are real people's lives that you know are still within living memory for some people, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there's an expectation with historical fiction. You know, there's there's what people expect to see, and as you've discovered, things that surprise us and, and amaze us. How do you how do you balance that when you how much of that are you conscious of when you're writing you know you're, you're writing about real events with fictional people and but you want to surprise and delight the reader how much of that balance are you conscious of when when you're writing? Um, yeah, it's a really good question, um, which I'm struggling to think of a good answer to. Uh, <laughs> um, I I'm very conscious of it for sure. I I know that when readers are turning to historical fiction it tends well certainly certainly when I do I I I actually love it when I want to go and google something when I'm reading something because it's made me think that much that I I need to know Mm -hmm. more about it but it's that balance of not making it feel like a tome and making it seem like something that that is it's it's subtle you know you subtly realize that you've absorbed these these parts of history what you're really gripped by is the story so I think that's always the balance is never tell it's like a whole show not tell thing but never tell the reader a historical fact it has to be relevant to the story if you're going to weave it in so 
it's only relevant what the German parachutists went through. So insofar as you have a German soldier who's going through that rather than somebody just telling the story about those German, you know, that's how you make it um, a core part of the story as opposed to a work of nonfiction. Um, But it's, I do also find that the research fuels the story. So you'll come across something really minor maybe in your and I always talk I always use the example of um not not this book but a book I wrote a, a few years ago called the um Island in the East which is set in Singapore and right at the beginning of when I was researching the occupation of Singapore I came across the fact that in the women and male prisoner of war camps they left letters for each other at the rubbish bins to communicate right. between the two camps and it just really it just really struck a chord with me and that did work its way into the novel but I would never have had that idea of the man and the woman communicating with each other if I hadn't read that historical fact that that was how mm. so I think it's like human nature fuels the story because we read the facts and then that gives rise to a more authentic story so that's a really convoluted and probably not very articulate way of starting the no question, I, 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 I totally get it. I write historical fiction too although it has a slightly fantastical edge to it but it is that thing of finding the little history isn't arrows moving across a map it's those little personal no. moments that you just described yes, exactly. it's, it's those little human moments that you think oh a, they were just like us, but also yeah. they were different. They were under different pressures. They they couldn't behave in the same ways, perhaps. And that's again, it's that little seam of gold. You think, yeah, this is this yeah. is terrific. I've got something yeah, here yeah. that will delight yeah. and surprise the reader who thinks they know about this period of history as well. Which yeah. is um, yeah. But where, where else do you? I mean, you know, someone like you mentioned Anthony Beaver, who is a fantastic. Uh, historical writer and, and he does you know he's very good at balancing that big sweep of history with those personal moments but yeah. it is those personal moments that make up um uh, uh you know that that help us create yeah. bring bring to life these kind of history where 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 have you found some of the best places to to find those kind of of, of moments so I read for this book for the echoes of love I read a lot of memoirs actually um so I, I don't know if you know this and I'm gonna I know I'm just gonna pronounce his name incorrectly Patrick Lee Fermor Fermor the um the travel writer yes he was he was with the special operations executive in, in Crete during the second world war right. so he has written he actually abducted a German general um <laughs> and there was a yeah no I know it was crazy in 1944 <laughs> he and uh, another of his uh, like 22 or something 22 or 23 years old and they just came up with this crackpot scheme to let's really annoy the uh, the Germans by abdu- abducting a Nazi general from right under their noses. And they did from the Villa Ariadne just outside Knossos. And so he's written this whole memoir about abducting a general. And then there was uh, Billy Moss was the person he did it with. And he wrote another book called Ill Met by Moonlight. I also read, I don't know if you've ever read um, the trilogy, the Sword of Honor trilogy by... Um, well, oh, it's it's so good. It's hysterically funny. But he was on Crete during the uh, battle for Crete, so he had that. Um, and it was Beaver who 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 kind of point in his footnotes pointed me in that direction. But right. so I, I, in that sense, I read a lot of first-hand accounts to um, to get that. I don't know that kind of authentic voice about what you know what was going on. That that really that. I was there. This is what happened. I also met um, when we on a couple of research trips that I took. Um, quite by coincidence, I booked to stay somewhere, and the place was run by a New Zealand lady who'd married a Greek man. But because she was New Zealand, and because so many of the soldiers who yeah. had invaded were from New Zealand, yeah. they um, 
they she over the years she has met and talked with and helped a lot of New Zealand veterans to retrace their their battle paths on Crete and she had so many stories to tell me about the things that she'd heard from them mm. so that was that was amazing and then um not they, my my grandmother wasn't in Crete but she was in Athens and so I had a lot of stories that I've just grown up with really you know one of them was that when um when they used to, because they were so hungry during the Second World War, they um, they ate a lot of rabbits, but the children didn't want to eat the rabbits because they were cute, and so they would yes. name them Nazi generals before they killed them. <laughs> so they would eat the rabbits, and this was, you know, this was just little stories that I just grew up taking for granted. And then when I'm writing this book, I was like, actually, that's actually really, you know. So in, in the mm. Echoes of Love, they call um, she tries to call the snails that she eats, you know. Himmler and whatever before so she, you know, so, uh, so she feels less bad about killing them so um yeah so it was it's just all of those little things I suppose and then and then the other things I found and it's you know when you use the term gold but I think panning for gold is, is a real thing with photographs when you're looking through um old film reels or photographs and you just see the expressions on a face and one of them this is more serious but during the reprisals there was this photograph of all these Greek men in the village and they they were normal men you know they were just yeah. sitting there in their braces and their shirt sleeves on beach um, um tree trunks and on the leaves on the ground and you could just see them looking at this camera with this expression of like disbelief on their face are you seriously about to do this mm-hmm. and 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 it was it was that that human yeah, you could felt like I felt like I could talk to those people in those. So I, you know, their emotion was so written on their faces, and so that was another. You know, those photographs. I just think uh, they bring the history to life in a way that words mm. do in a different way. You know, it's yeah. it's it's you know. Um, so it's all of that. It's it's first hand account. It's it's nonfiction. It's photos. It's reels. It's all all of that comes together, and hopefully, I do it justice. <laughs> no, absolutely. And you've also got. Um transcripts of interviews from 1974 which i yeah. think is a great device can with going sort of spoiler <laughs> light can you can you tell us a, a bit about that i found that absolutely fascinating yeah well, that idea came first actually and funnily oh. enough actually i i had the idea for the transcripts before i had the idea for the book i remember right. just um i just i you know i don't know if you ever do this but i was just idly just typing something you know mm-hmm. i was like does this work you know um right. and and I just thought, oh, I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever. I can't think when I've if I've seen it done before. But I just thought this is a really neat way to communicate somebody in the present. I know it's not the present, but the 1970s present with a yeah. deep, deep regret of something. And because it's yeah. a transcript, you don't have to reveal who they are. So yeah. it's it's that. It, I don't know where. Honestly, I don't know if you ever know where your ideas come from, but I certainly didn't know where this one came from. But it just was like <laughs> maybe this. And I sent it to Becky, my agent. I said. What do you think? She's like, and it's just for a different book. And she said, I love it. And then um, when we were brainstorming the creep one, she said, Is there any way you could get the transcripts in? I was like, I think I probably could. And and that was that was and then actually it worked so well because it helps carry the story through. And and actually I think it also just from a kind of purely writing like the construction of a book it keeps the momentum because it helps you cut from scene to scene yeah. you know so that yeah, you yeah, can yeah. you can you can do that so it's a great device it made me think um of the tv series the world at war which was made around about 1974 i think 
Yeah. Uh, where, and it was probably the first time that people who'd been involved in the war could look at it with any kind of perspective and and speak in such a confessional way and finally kind of... I, do you know what? I think it was probably that programme that I was probably thinking of when I thought, you right. know, the BBC... Because for anyone yeah. listening, the B, it's, it's this idea that the BBC is going to be airing this programme on the anniversary of the liberation of Athens and they're mm. interviewing everybody who was involved in the war during during in Greece during that time and that's where these transcripts come from. And I, now that you've said it, yes, I have watched the world. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that that's where the idea came from. No, it's a, it's a great device. It's a brilliant, brilliant yeah, device. It's so, it's so well done. Let's go back to where it all started for you, Jenny, because um, yeah. the first thing I can find, and I'm sure you were writing long before this, but in 2012, you're on your commute home and you open a yeah. laptop. Can you yeah. talk about that? Or the moment yeah, so... I mean, I that was when I was writing Remember Me, which never got published in the UK, but it did get a German deal. Um, I was working um, full-time at Microsoft, and I had a six-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. I just – and um, actually, to be honest, the whole time I was working at Microsoft, and this was years before – I used to travel a lot, so I was often on long-haul flights, mm-hmm. and I would always, when I should have been working, <laughs> write, uh, write paragraphs or whatever it is, or scenes, I did the same, or I dialogue. did the same, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and I remember once my boss saying to me, you always work so hard on those flights. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, mm. uh, anyway, so I was always, always writing something, um, but um, that year... And I don't know, I honestly, I can't say what triggered it, but I just decided I'm going to give this a go. Um, I signed up for, I started, I I was on my commute and I just, I really had always wanted to write a First World War book and I just, I started that. But I also signed up for, this is the only training I've ever done was a a short how to write a novel course with the the writer's workshop. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, it was just an online, I think it was an hour commitment a week where you learn the basics of how to start a novel, which tents to use, point of view, that, you know, all of yeah. those just just basic yeah, yeah. things that actually I didn't really know. You know, things like only putting, indenting at the beginning of a paragraph, putting single speech marks yeah. around, all of those little yeah, yeah. double spacing, yeah. all of that, you know, stuff. And um, and so, I, yeah, I just started, I started writing. And the, the, the big thing about that book, because I'm no longer with the agent that I was with when I did that, and it never got a UK deal. But what that book really did was I made so many really good friends in the writing world through that book. And it is those friends I'm still really close with now who have just been so core to me carrying on in this profession and being able to do what I did. So I went to like a couple of writers' festivals and met people and – yeah, it, it, and, I, and I hear loads of writers talking about it, about how the thing that they love most about writing, one of the things they love most about writing is the friendships that they've made. And I think it was through writing that first book that that, that was really what happened um, for me. But it was heartbreaking when it didn't get a UK deal, I have to say. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to come back to that in a minute, but I think it yeah. is really important, particularly with first-time writers who haven't worked in the industry. The industry assumes a lot of knowledge. Yeah, it does. A lot of no, no one really sits you down and says, "This is how an advance work. This is how royalties work. This is how this is why publishing is so incredibly slow." No one ever, and so having that community, having people, 
Um, what had been your experience of publishing before that, and and what were the none, big surprises? None, what, none whatsoever. And right. and I was so naive. I was so green. You know, I just thought all you had to do was get an agent, and and I didn't actually realise that was going to be that hard. Um, <laughs> and uh, I learned that lesson pretty fast. Um, and I didn't know. I think one of the things that I've really realised in writing, and I don't want to be too too down about it, but and, and I think I can't remember who it was who said this. This is not my own um, words because I borrowed them from somebody else. But every mountain that you get to, you can just see the mountains around you. So you get to the top of one mountain, and all you can see is all the other ones that you've still got to climb. And I don't know if that ever certainly hasn't stopped for me. But I I I, I hadn't realised how hard it was going to be. I remember my agent at the time telling me you just need a thick skin and I thought well how can you have a thick skin if you're going to write you know emotion and all the rest of it there's they're just they're, they feel mutually exclusive but anyway I um I, I still don't have a thick skin it all still really gets to me to be honest but, yeah it never goes away uh, never goes away um and so I um but yeah I, I those friends I, I actually, by and large, we're at the same stage in our careers and we've we've moved through it together. And I think that that has been so just important because it just takes the madness out of it when you've got, and, and you know, people are at the, you know, such a, as we all know, the cliche of the roller coaster and people are at the highs and the lows at different points. So while somebody's yeah. on a low, somebody else is on a high. And I just think there's something about that that just keeps you with the faith and keep, you know, keeps you believing and, and just keeps it in perspective, actually. Um, but I did have so much to learn. I didn't know, I didn't know how the publishing process worked. I didn't know how important supermarkets were. I didn't know um, how little of a ninety-nine p ebook an author actually gets. You know, yes. I didn't know any of these, <laughs> <laughs> these things. Um, so that's all been, you know, a huge, a huge curb. Well, let's 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 go back to your first novel, Remember Me. Yeah. So you're sending it out to UK publishers. No one's biting, which yeah, you know, is 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 hurtful. And then you picked up by a German publisher <laughs> at auction, so t- and it was at yeah. auction. Yeah, tell us yeah, about yeah, that. Was, oh my god, it was so. We'd been actually because we, we were living in Singapore at the time, and we'd gone to see my family um, in Greece for a couple of weeks, and we were just going back to the UK for a few days. And I was, it was really, you know, it's I don't know for anyone who's been through this process will understand what it is. But I think I had something like twenty-one rejections that landed in my inbox day after wow. day after day after day, and I was very disheartened. And then the um, the plane landed at Heathrow, and I switched on my mobile data, and it was it's good news from Germany. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> and I didn't, I just, I didn't care. I was like, this is <laughs> the book is going to actually see the, you know, and it was so. And actually, that lady um, Maria at Goldman. She she was she's become such she became a very good friend because she was the first person to believe in me and to buy a book and she bought more and um, but it was it was and I know other authors it's happened to where you don't get the you and of course you want the deal where you're from because you want to be able to yeah. go into the shops that you know and Waterstones and your local seller and see it and you want to see it in your own your own words you know the translation yeah. I don't I personally don't speak German so I could never read you read the book. But, you know, in terms of silver linings to that process, it was, a, it was a huge one. And it actually meant that I was able to um, stop my day job and actually start wow. writing full time, which was a big thing. Because whilst yeah. I'd written one book working full time, it, I, I, it would have been hard, I think, to back up, especially with the type of job I was doing, to back up and, and do that. 
to do yeah. that again with two very small children. So you, you mentioned you mentioned family there. If authors going in know very little about publishing, our families know even less. So how oh how did gosh. you explain? How did you say to them? Well. I haven't picked up any, but I've got a German deal. How do you how do you explain that? Do you know, it's still so frustrating. I just find it, my family just, you know, endlessly clueless about what any of this means. They always assume we're millionaires, don't they? Yeah, 100%. And, and also, has that not come out yet? You know, it's, you know, why hasn't that come out yet? What, you know, you wrote that ages ago and, and when is that coming out? And um I went into Sainsbury's today and I didn't see it. So I know you wouldn't. So yeah, that's that's and, and my kids just don't care. Like they just, you know, yeah. you know, they just whatever. It's <laughs> Great, <laughs> actually, my son said to me the other day was, "Do you write real books?" So well, I think they're real. And he said to me, "Do they have a table of contents though?" I was like, is that is that a core part of a real book, Jonah? And he's, he's you know, apparently that doesn't count unless it has yeah. a table of concepts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, let's talk let's talk about so after Remember Me. Yeah. You've, you know, and I don't think it still hasn't been picked up by UK publisher. Did, did so? Was there a decision? Right, let's put that to one side. Let's move on to something new. How do you, yeah, how do you sort of dust yourself Although, off? Although, funny after enough, that? I was actually looking at it two days ago because I'd remembered a scene that I'd written in it that I might be using for this this current book that I'm writing at the moment. And I started to think, oh, should I use that scene? I thought, oh, I wonder if I could rewrite this book and give it another lease of life. I don't know. Maybe I will. I don't know. But yeah, I moved on to Beneath the Burning Sky, um, set in Egypt. Mm. Um, and Manpreet, who's my editor at HQ, picked that up. She was the first editor to offer on it. And that was really the start of what I would consider yeah. to be my real shop in the UK because Manpreet's amazing. And mm. so um, she's she's a great editor. So she actually really makes the book, but she's also really smart. <laughs> so, so, so it feels like a real, a real, I'm really great. And so it just feels like a gift to be working with her. And so I, I wrote Beneath the Burning Sky in Ireland in the East when she was still at um, Sphere at Little Brown. Mm-hmm. Then she left and moved to HQ. Um, and I... I was actually about to have my third child and I just, I've signed another contract with Sphere for Meet Me in Bombay and Under the Golden Sun, which released last year. And then, um, and then I just, A, I wanted to really work with Manpreet again, but B, I thought it was time for a change of publisher. And so um, I moved to HQ for The Echoes of Love. So that, that relationship with an editor, again, it's not explained to you. Uh, when you join yeah. the publishing club, but it's um, it can be very close and it can be very uh, you can really rely on. It's just when someone gets you and someone understands your writing, it's it's so key, isn't it? It really is, and it's a huge trust thing because you hand your book yeah. over to. Some, I just know. I just. Or I know. I there's there's. I don't think Manpreet has ever made a single suggestion that I haven't seen that she's completely correct. You know, and <laughs> and so I think it's that being on the same wavelength and knowing that you both understand where you want the book. You're you're heading for the same endpoint with the book. I think that's the thing. And yeah. and and you know, you get the characters and they mean the same thing to you. It really is. It's so important. Um, and also being with an editor who. I feel like you can be honest with and open with, and it's it's trust. It's just a big, it's a it's a business, it's a business relationship, but it's also a personal relationship, I think. And um, same with your agent. You know, it's 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 having those people around you. You know, it's it's a village. You know, was it? It takes a village to make a book. Takes a village. (laughs) Yes. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 
I'd like to talk about one thing I saw. Um, you were involved in the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, woman touring project. Yeah. Woman touring, mentoring women, yeah. for yeah. female writers. Uh, and the person you mentored, Clarissa, and go on a one, forgive yeah. me, Clarissa, if I mispronounced that, she won the Bath Novel Award. So she did. That, that and she's gone been... on to be published in many countries, yeah. actually. She's, she's amazing. I mean, I can't take any credit for that, but I met I met her. I, I worked with her through it because we, we all know it's quite. It can be a very lonely profession, yeah. and yeah, yeah, you, yeah. like we were saying before, when you're first starting out, there's you have more questions than you have answers, and it's just good to have somebody who who you can just turn to and and just bounce things around with, and also who's going to say to you, "Keep going." You know, mm. you can do this. And and um, we were both in Singapore, so um, right. I, I I was still fairly early on in my career at the time. I just signed my German deal, and she was starting out. And yeah, it was it was it was just it was lovely for both of us really because we could spend time together and talk about writing. And I read, I, I don't know, I read the book, and then a few. I, I can't. It was a while ago now, but I, I would say minor editorial input. She she did it. It was it was her. It was her all her own work. But I think that the really amazing thing about that whole. Um, and I think there's been some amazing success stories from that program that was set up was the, the, the belief of others and, and that and people propelling each other on, which I think is, is just worth its weight in gold. Just, yeah. just support, that's, you know, that just keeps, you know, self-perpetuating support for each other. Um, that's that's the important means. thing, isn't it? It's saying to someone else, you know, you can do this, you, you know, yeah. Uh, I can, I can, you've got the skills. I can just, you know, open the door for you and just show you yeah, what it's like. Right, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. What's, what's coming next from you, Jenny? Uh, so I'm writing um, a book at the moment set in England for the, actually, you know, I have, I've done bits set in England before, but I've never set a whole book in England. Like maybe it's because I'm in Australia that I'm missing England at the moment, but it's a <laughs> bit different. Um, yeah. And it's a bit probably more of a Gothic Gothic historical. I'm really enjoying it. I was, I was, I was ready for. Um, and actually, the difference is with this one is there's not much research, which is actually quite. Nice. <laughs> uh, so it's more of just a story, you know. It's just a, it's set in the it's set in a kind of timeless 1930s setting. There's no war. There's no, you know, you've got the First World War in the background, but it's it's it is um, really just set in quite a small contained space of time on an mm. island. Um, an invented island um and i'm yeah i'm really enjoying it so i've got to hand that in in november i enjoy that aspect of it less and <laughs> and um so that's 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 what's next um but i'm really looking forward to seeing the echoes of love published because that's been a long time in the writing that book so wonderful stuff well folks echoes of love grab your copy now on all of jenny's other books uh you're going to be transported to different times and it's just amazing stuff jenny thank you so much for speaking to us today and hope to speak to you again soon thanks for having me the importance of friendships mark eh? it's something that we keep hearing more and more and more about but this is a very very important thing that i think a lot of people don't a lot of people listening to this might be thinking well i don't have a writing group of friends i don't know anyone else who does write um, we don't have a local writers group, but it, it's so important, isn't it? And Jenny just stressed, you know, the value of having those connections, those author connections of people who are going through the same process as yourself. Yeah, it is important to find your tribe. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that, you know, we all, we all have authors that we admire 
And, you know, we might want to be best friends with them. You know, I'd like to be best friends with Neil Gaiman. But, you know, Neil Gaiman is his own mates. Uh, and the weird thing is, the next Neil Gaiman could well be in your peer group. It you was know, exactly it, right. You, yeah. all, you all rise up together. And this Absolutely. is what I'm seeing with the Academy and the best, the Patreon group and the bestseller yeah. group on Facebook. We're now seeing, now that we're six years into this podcast and the Academy is, is uh, oh God, two it's, years it's, it's two yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. You know, we're now seeing people getting varying degrees of success and they're all cheering each other on. And they're all having, you know, it's, you're seeing it happen. It's, this is the experiment, you know, we've put, <laughs> it's almost like we've got a little Petri dish and yeah. we're seeing the cultures begin to grow. And it's, exactly. this is, this is insulting to all of our listeners and everyone in the academy, but you're this funny little bacteria that's going, <laughs> um, so apologies for that. But it is, it's, you know, we sit and I, it's happening to me. If you look at, you know, what I'd, done when we start the podcast one book and one film you know mm. i'm now six books seven book seven seventh book on the way second film on the way other stuff on on the go you know we're all rising up together yeah. so uh it's it's great and if you are in that thing wait i don't have a local writing group i don't there isn't a facebook group that i can find that suits me or is in my genre or whatever start your own you know yeah. which is scary it's kind of scary, yeah. But you—they'll all come out the woodwork. I guarantee you. will find other writers come out the woodwork. But as well as, I mean, running and organising a, a writing group can be can be really hard as well. It can be a lot of extra work. We've we've had a number that have started and finished and started and finished, and um, and I think it's I, I think it's super important to, I mean, this idea that Jenny said about this belief that happens in each other, and I loved her. I loved her phrase self-perpetuating support Mm -hmm. and it always reminds me of that story of roger bannister and this idea that you know people think things are impossible you know the um the was it three minute mile or four minute four minute mile four minute mile wasn't it Um, probably is three minute mile now isn't it but (laughs) um but it's like the idea that nobody believed it was impossible Uh, everyone thought it was impossible to actually break the four minute mile and people tried and they got close and they failed and they failed and failed and then one day Roger Bannister came along and got 359 point mm. something. He just, just went under. And it was the fact that then as soon as he had broken the record, it, uh, the, the following 12 months, something like 35 other runners all broke it. Mm. And that's exactly what we've seen in, in the Academy. It's like somebody wins a writing competition or somebody gets a, a deal or someone gets success and it makes other, everyone else think, well, hang on, if they can get it, Maybe I can because because when they're your peer, when they're just your mate that you're doing a writing buddy session with that month, or you've been chatting, you've beta read their stuff, or they've beta read your stuff. You know, you're kind of you you know them on a different level, um, and and it's like one of your closest friends suddenly gets a deal, and you think, oh, and it's so it's not like listening to a you know a multi-million selling author on the bestseller experiment who gets the deal, and you think, yeah, I saw it for them because they've obviously yeah. had this, this, and this. It's somebody you know. And it really is important from that perspective to kind of journey with a group of writers, especially if you get a good group, you know, mm. I mean, that's partly why the academies um, is a great area to do that because everyone's really focused and they're all ambitious and determined. They want to make this happen. Right. So you've yeah. got this kind of like-minded individuals all traveling together on that journey, but it's, it's absolutely essential, I think, because as Jenny said, writing, you know, in the opposite to what we all talked about, she said writing can be so lonely, it can be so isolating. 
And that's what I think most people actually do experience. It's that side of it rather than the incredible community side. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there, and again, if you're thinking, how do I, how do I, where do I start? You know, there will probably be a festival near you. There, you know, pop to libraries. Libraries will have writers' groups. Bookshops sometimes often have them. I mean, we, you know, we moved here five years ago. Um, and there's an astonishing wealth of, of writers locally that, you know, we've all, I've, I've gone out and found them and made friends and had coffees and, you know, supported each other and cheered each other on. It's, uh, they're, yeah, it's, go find them. They're out there somewhere. Yeah. And, and the mistake everyone makes is they think, well, once I start, once I start writing and, you know, my friends and family are going to be an awesome support group. <laughs> Oh man, how wrong are they? <laughs> right? And again, Jenny, I mean, we joke about it on the podcast, but it's like the more we bring this up with interviews, the more it's like, yeah, yeah, family just don't get it. Don't They're get not it. interested there. It's such an interesting, it's yeah. a weird phenomena, isn't it? It is a weird phenomena. Yeah. And it's an industry people think they know, mm. uh, you know, but it's. And it, and it has changed a lot. To be fair, in the last 10 years, publishing has changed more than in any other period of its history. I think, you know, the, you had that great disruptor, Amazon, coming in and changing everything. Uh, the high street had to rise to that challenge. We've had self-publishing, which has been a massive revolution. So, you know, when someone says, I went into Sainsbury's today and I didn't see it, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can understand Jenny, Jenny's kind of frustration uh, of, you know, how do you sit down and explain to them that only a tiny percentage of books published ever get into supermarkets and, mm -hmm. you know, or uh, and her kids were saying, what do they say? Do you write real books? And it's not a real book unless it has a table of contents. Right. <laughs> I know. Well, has it, has it, hasn't it come out yet? Like the, the, oh. no, nobody has any idea about the process and how long it's, I mean, you were talking about the film earlier about, you know, it's been mm. two years since it was cut, but mm. it's yeah. an interesting one. I think the most important thing for people to take away from this, if uh, anyone who's actually published a book already knows this, we're, we're talking to the converted, anyone who's in the process of writing a book, I kind of feel like it's similar to the experience I had when I, when I started playing music live, you know, the first gig every single family and friend to show up you get sold out it's a room packed the second gig you get your best mate and someone who's wandered in off the street show up and you go from this absolute high of like wow this is it we're gonna take on the world to oh they're all just showing up just to kind of be polite really <laughs> and i think that's what happens so the analogy of that of someone writing is the minute you announce to someone, family and friends, to a spouse, you know, to your kids, uh, parents, whoever, oh, I'm thinking of writing a book or I've started writing a book. They're going to be really excited for you. And then every conversation you have with them afterwards will probably be something like, what, is it not out yet? If not finished it yet? You've also got to manage expectations as well. I mean, your own expectations will will need managing for a start because, mm. as I, as I was saying to Jenny, you know, no one tells authors what the realities of publishing are. So mm. uh, there will be they will assume that unless you've had Stephen King levels of success, that you're an utter failure. That oh, you're not in the supermarkets. Oh, did it not work? Oh, did it yeah. not? 
oh, was it a bit of a failure? And you can say, no, I've sold, like, I've got the festivals, I've done this, I've, you know, they, there's a whole world out there that they don't know. They just see the peak of the mountain, you know, they, they just see what the tip of the iceberg actually is probably a better, yeah. better analogy. You know, they see the stuff that they, that makes the papers and the news and stuff like that. Whereas actually there's a very, very thriving industry where you know lots of all and lots of children's authors make a great living just doing school events you know they might yeah. not be i mean oh yeah, let's face it bloody david williams gobbles up the whole of the children's chart now but they make a very good living going from school to school and delighting children everywhere and yeah. and you know can make good money from that um you know, so, uh, science fiction authors go from festival to festival. And in that community, they're massive crime yeah. authors, you know, same kind of thing. They have their own community there where, where you know, they they have the, the respect and of, of their peers. But, of course, the in the real world, you know, that, that doesn't always break through. And it's part of that diversification of publishing that's happened in, you know, in the last sort mm. of 10, 20 years or so uh, that um, – that, you know, ordinary people don't necessarily know about, but you, you kind of you have to sit them down and educate them, I guess. And there are thousands and thousands of indie authors who've never actually published a physical copy of their book who are making yeah. a very nice living, six figures, very, thank very, you very much yeah. a year. Yeah. You know, it's so it's more just a it's more just a kind of a perception, but it's it's always good to know for anyone who's about to go into this. You know, you listen to the podcast, maybe you're inspired to write your first book. Um, your family will be excited. I mean, we we joke about this. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rules. There's the Julies of this world, the partners who become like your, yeah, your yeah, biggest yeah. support and and help you and and do everything they can to help you write that book. And absolutely, they exist as well. But I think the general rule is is to don't don't set your expectations too high <laughs> when it comes to yeah. that. Now, the other thing that uh, Jenny talked about, which was interesting, was the challenges of writing. She talked about. It's funny, this analogy has come up a few times very recently about you climb to the top of the mountain and then you realize, oh, there's another okay, one. <laughs> there's another one and it's even higher. And that's, I mean, it's an analogy for life in many ways as well. I mean, if, you, if you're striving to kind of grow and, and improve, you always want another challenge. I mean, the, the minute there's not a challenge in front of you is the minute you kind of start coasting and you get a bit complacent and you don't, and you lose your, your buzz. So I think it's a good thing. But she also talked about it's really important that, you know, you, 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 having a thick skin, you know, we all try and develop it, but we're all human at the end of the day as well. And like she said, you know, 21 rejections. I said, I think she 21 said she got rejections. 21. Yeah, Another, yeah. we should be compiling the number of rejections every best selling author has got and, and, and start counting them up. Like average, average rejections. That's probably about average, isn't it? It 21. is about average. I would yeah. say that. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, you're, as she says, how can you have thick skin if you write emotional fiction? You know, if you're the sort of person, and most writers are people who like to dig deep and, uh, you know, expose those raw emotions and put them on the page and spend every hour of every day, you know, blood, sweat and tears on the keyboard. And then someone goes, not for us, thank you. Mm. You know, it's, oh, and you, you must start to think after a while, what's the point? But the point is that eventually you do, you know, one way or another, you can make that connection with readers. And that's, that for me is, is the most in, important thing. If you can get a reader coming back to you and saying, I love this book, you know, you, you every author out there is someone's favorite author, you know? Uh, so it, it, you, you just have to, you kind of have to really want it, you know, uh, 
you you have to hang in there. You have to stick with it because mm. if you're compelled to write, as many of us are, um, there's there's nothing else you can do. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. You know, you just have to. I'd still be doing this if if I wasn't earning money. And yeah. for many years, I did do it and earned precisely sod all. <laughs> and I think, and I think, you know, Jenny said, you know, it it's it's hard. But I think the difference is, is the longer you keep doing it, the wiser you get. Yes. Not necessarily the easier it becomes, but the wiser you get, which means you can roll with it a little easier you know what to expect you know what it takes you do develop everyone develops calluses to a degree you only need a few kind of one-star reviews and a few criticisms to to like start to develop those and these are all important parts of being an author it's not just about you know how good you are at writing it's it's all those other things the human journey if you like as a writer that goes goes into it so um just to encourage people if they're if they're listening to this and thinking oh yeah it's hard I, I i you've got to keep pushing and you get wiser every single day that you go through it with every experience you have in writing um and it does get easier as a result it gets easier to finish books it get easy it's easier to publish your second book because you've been through the process once before yeah. there's a lot of a learn there's a lot of learning that goes on in that first book whether it's writing it or publishing it but like you said, you know, it's like you, Mark, talking about the second time you saw your film, you got to actually enjoy the process of yeah. watching it because you'd been yeah. through. And it was yeah, like me as well. Yeah. Like the second time I played Glastonbury, like the first time. Oh, I don't here we go. Well, <laughs> but it's relevant, right? But it's really relevant because the first, I had to put it in there, right? Because festivals. Well but, done. But no, but seriously, drink, two, two, was it two fingers? Two fingers, three fingers, whatever you're drinking, three fingers. Um but it is like I actually enjoyed the second time we performed. The first time, I don't remember much about it. I was yeah. just a bag of nerves hoping that nothing yeah. went wrong. And so maybe people enjoy the process of writing their second book a lot more than the fear of writing their first book. Mm. And uh, it's worth – so whichever one you're on, if you'd be on that, brilliant. But if you're writing your first book, it, it gets more enjoyable through the hard hard bits and if you're writing your second book maybe you'll maybe you'll write and tell us the differences you've experienced between that 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 difficult that difficult first book and that maybe even more difficult second book but yeah write and let us know we'd love to hear about that now there's a lot more we'd love to talk about um on the podcast but we run out of time on this one but if you are a patron supporter a member of the academy you get to listen to the extended version of this discussion where we will talk about writing for the fun of it uh, the importance of the relationships between the writer and their editor and their agent, um, how to balance real events with fictional people, and how research can unearth an unexpected nugget. So if you would like to listen to a bit of an extra longer uh, podcast of Mark and I chatting, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Or if you're in the academy, you can listen to it on the Bestseller Experiment app. So in the last few months, we've had a few Academy members come on. We've been talking, obviously, about the importance of, uh, of friendships and community and finding your tribe. And Mark, you had a chat with uh, one of our Academy members, Sean Dyer. Yeah, quick chat with Sean. I love Sean. He's great. Uh, Sean has written six plays, all sorts of short stories. They've all been sort of backed by the Dagner Theatre Project Novel Dreamers. Uh, and I had a little chat with Sean uh, about his time at the Academy, which we can listen to right now. Sean Dyer, welcome. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you? Tickety-boo, thank you. Uh, let's talk about your experience with the Academy. What were your big writing challenges before you joined the Academy? 
Um, well, the biggest challenge is having two small children, obviously. So right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> time to write being in a premium. Um, but the, the kind of problem that I'd had mainly was around editing. So right. always had lots of ideas, always had lots of... Um, I could write things down really well. I, well, really well is a strong word. But, you know, I could write things down and I'd get words on the page. I could yeah. get all through that. And then I'd, I'd write a full draft and I'd go, right, what do I do now? And I right. would kind of go in, change the odd word here, make a sentence, say the same thing. Oh, well, he'd already says that. And then go back in and change it back. And it was kind of tinkering around the edges. Right. So <clears throat> that was my kind of big gap. So obviously never done any training aside from aside from this. Excellent. Um, how did the academy help you with that and help you generally as a writer? So it, it kind of um, there's two ways really. So there was the the course that you can go through, and there's lots of um, really interesting stuff in there about editing. There's first draft editing, there's later draft editing pieces. So it really helped me kind of take a step back, look at the bigger picture, understand, you know, go through, and you don't have to do it at a line level to start with. You start with the big picture and the, mm. the flow of it and the themes, and you edit that kind of thing. And the other piece, which was which was even more helpful, just kind of personally to me, was the time that I had with you, and I, I don't want to blow your trumpet or whatever, but, but it was really good to get a kind of face-to-face, one-on-one time with someone who's been there and done it and has all those really good insights about, you know, how you can improve your your craft cool uh that's fantastic to hear um and thank you sean and what what was your favorite part of the academy you mentioned the courses you mentioned the one-to-one were the bits that you kept coming back to again and again um so for me it was the hive so there's a lot of other great talented authors out there who you know some of them who have written books and published and some of them who are just kind of starting out and it's just really good to find a group of people that are really willing to help they're really um knowledgeable in their own ways you know and it's it's that community that i never had anywhere else because none of my friends are interested in writing they read but they don't they don't write you know so it's it's finding that group of people which was the best one that's so important isn't it tell us about yourself sean tell us what you're up to now pitch yourself pitch on pitch any projects that you're working on or, or that are out there um, so I'm I'm currently working on two edits and writing another book. Um, I'm trying to write a short story, but the last one I wrote ended up over a hundred thousand words. So, if <laughs> <laughs> um, you want to look me up, I'm on Twitter at PixelPirate. Um, I have PixelPirate.com. I've got some screenplays up there, some short stories, some stuff to read. Um, I'd really like to plug one thing. So I, I'm a, a veteran of something called 1448, which is, it's mainly in the Midlands, but it's a theatre festival. And what they do is they get seven directors, seven writers, a whole bunch of actors together. And over two days, they have to write, uh, practice and perform 14 plays. And oh. it's fantastic. So if you get a chance to ever do that, it's wonderful as a writer. I've done it three or four times now. And you basically, you find out what you're supposed to be writing about 10 o'clock at night. You write until nine o'clock in the morning. And then they take it away with the directors and the actors. They practice it, perform it that night. After the show, you get another another writing prompt and go home and write it again. And it's absolutely wonderful. And that's, that's the, the 1448projects.org, I think it is. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes. That sounds absolutely terrifying. But thanks for that, Sean. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. Great to talk to you and hope to speak to you again soon. No worries. Thanks, Mark. Huge thank you to Sean for taking the time to speak to me. Do check out Sean's website because he's got he's got this great he's got these little charts telling you how his projects are progressing. I think Brandon Sanderson does a similar thing. You know, eighty nine percent finished first draft, hundred percent finished second draft. It also tells you what he's reading, what he's gaming, what he's watching on TV. He's reading something called, let me see, The Crow Folk. 
Oh, I hope you enjoy that. I really hope you enjoy that, Sean. Um, Check uh, in the show notes for links to the 1448 theatre project that he was talking about if you want to get involved with that as well. It's absolutely fantastic. And if if Sean has inspired you and you want to get involved with the Academy, then pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and click and join the wait list and we'll be opening again the doors sooner than you can imagine. So thank you so much for that, Sean. Now, Mark, I know there's been some wins and some great stuff on social media this week as well. All sorts of great stuff. Now, following on from our conversation about historical fiction, which is in the extended edition, folks, but Julian Barr sent us something. Uh, You remember uh, we were talking about character names and coming up with character names a Mm. few weeks ago. uh, And Julian, who, you know, writes fantasy and historical stuff, he says, I'm always on the lookout for obscure historical names I can filch. My favourite so far is Sir Marmaduke Constable. (laughs) (laughs) That's <laughs> a brilliant name. He was a courtier in the reign of Henry VIII. I'm writing, I'm waiting for the right story for him. So you know what we were talking about earlier? Just if you see something cool, if you see some gem, just jot it down capture in a notebook, it. file it away, capture yeah. it, bank it for later. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that, Julian. Love it. Absolutely love it. Now, um, our Gavin Smith, who's in our Facebook group, Gavin Smith, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. We love Gavin, fantastic author. Um, he's got a new book out. He's got Original Sin, which is a novel of the Marvel Universe. So he's adapted a graphic novel uh, by Jason Aaron and Micah Diodato, and he's adapted it into a novel, Original Sin, which is out now, at least in the UK. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. So I think huge congratulations to Gavin. I think, I think Mr. D, that makes us part of the Marvel Universe. So I guess we just <laughs> sit back and wait for the Disney Plus spin-off it Marvel does. show, yeah, do we? It's like yeah, the I Kevin mean, Bacon Seven Degrees of Separation. We're just exactly. right on the very edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Fantastic. yeah, yeah. Excellent. So huge congrats to Gavin on that. Brilliant. Um, I had a lovely little note from Tracy Montague uh, in our Facebook group who we were chatting and she she was in the first ever production, theatre production of Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters. Okay, so that's his first witch's book. and it was in 1993, she played Nanny Og in the first ever production of Weird Sisters. Now, I said to Tracy, this is so weird because it was an adaptation by a guy called Stephen Briggs, who's done lots of, gone on to do loads of theatrical and audio adaptations of Terry's work. But I remember these coming out and I remember getting the scripts to them. You could buy the scripts and they inspired me to sort of think, well, if you can hmm. put Terry's stuff on, on on stage, my stuff can go on stage. So this is such a weird thing. One of our members of our Facebook group has unwittingly inspired me about 30 years ago to write stuff for the theatre and brought me where I am today. Isn't that Isn't weird? It brilliant. I love it. <laughs> so that is great. And, and Tracy got another bit of good news this week, which is Tracy got, she said, I got my first full manuscript request this week, then spent two days rereading it before I felt confident enough to send it. Whatever happens, thanks to you all for being such a fab group of supportive, friendly writers. Thanks to Mr. D for his woo-woo in emotion psych wisdom. And thanks to Mr. Stay for helping me edit the pants off my novel. By the way, I put the phrases back to reality and woo-woo in there. <laughs> which is Fantastic. Brilliant. Oh, Thank you. We've got everything Tracy. crossed for you, Tracy. Everything another crossed. Another brilliant milestone. Another brilliant milestone. Here's, a, here's another milestone, one that you know so many of us dream of. Uh, Jeff White, uh, who when he popped over to uh, Mevagissi, which is a bookshop in Cornwall. It's Hurley Books in Mevagissi, his favourite bookshop in Cornwall. And to his surprise, he saw his book, The Swordsman's Lament, 
faced out on the shelves. And he told Emma, the shop manager, that he wrote it. And she said, will you sign it? So not only that, he signed all the other copies they had in stock. Uh, and it's just fantastic. So wow. it's um, it's made his day. I mean, we again, we dream not only of seeing our book on the shelves, but face out and signing copies. It's, you know, it's one of those great moments. So fantastic. fantastic. Never gets sold. Never, ever gets sold. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, on the Academy, we had a lovely note from uh, Denise Bagan, uh, whose novel, Alice Larson, which I love, Loved. I absolutely loved this book. And uh, she's, she's just coming up to the finish line. So she's she's formatted the manuscript. She's getting a cover design soon. She's talking about her launch party. Uh, and uh, she's thinking, of because this, this is about, uh, Alice Larson is about this woman kind of lost in middle age, and she gets advice from the classic movie stars of old. And so she's talking about projecting an old Garbo movie, Greta Garbo movie on the wall and playing jazzy numbers and serving nibbles and rum cocos. Sounds absolutely brilliant. Um, I know how hard Denise has worked to get this novel out there, and uh, I can't wait to see the finished book. Um, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. So congrats to you, Denise. And and then a launch party to beat all launch parties. I think it's yeah. great. Like, they, I mean, you can do a launch party, right? You can just invite some friends around, have a drink, but like, go for it. Like, theme it, yeah. make it, make it fun. It will be one of the best, best days or nights of your life for sure. So, I hope everyone else really is thinking about how they might do their launch party when they finish their book. Brilliant stuff. Look, folks, if you want to get in touch with us, tell us your wins. Drop us a line at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. We're on Facebook, uh, Bestseller Experiment, and Twitter and Instagram at bestsellerxp. And if you would like to join the 200-word challenge, which has been the beginning of many an author's amazing career and finished multiple finished books, pop over to uh, 200wordchallenge.com. And if you'd like to get a weekly uh, update about the podcast and the guests we've got coming up, sometimes we even ask questions you'd like to ask future guests as well. So get on that list. Super exciting. You go to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter tab. And finally, if you'd like to join the Academy, if you've been inspired by all the stories you've heard, pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Mr. Stay, I hope you uh, keep flying and this buzz continues for many a week. I mean, it's great because the movie's not out for a good few months yet so it's going to be it's going to keep on going but have a fantastic week and we hope this week we hope this week that uh, you've been inspired by a few things keep you going through those well colder nights here in canada we're getting a bit chilly here but uh, for all of our friends in the other side of the world enjoy the beginning of summer you lucky lucky people anyway it's a good bye it's a goodbye (laughs) from mark one and a goodbye from mark two Goodbye. goodbye